0: Hi, this is Jessica Green, Wellness Coordinator here at Stonehill College. Today we have Professor John McCoy. He's going to come talk to us about sleep, how important it is, how to get a good night's rest, and why every college student needs more of it. Hi, John. Welcome.
1: Hi, Jess. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks. So tell us a little bit about you.
1: Um, I'm a professor in the psychology department. I'm the uh, director of the neuroscience program, which is, uh, you know, neuroscience kind of combines biology and psychology and chemistry uh, to try to understand the relationship between the brain and behavior. And my area of of research has to do with sleep.
0: That's good. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. No, we all need more sleep. I can tell you that.
1: (laughs) Um,
0: So tell me a little bit about why do you think sleep is so important? Why do we why do we need a good amount of it
1: well you know it's it's interesting um you know i think we all have uh, a sense of you know if i ask someone why why do you sleep they'll usually say you know well because it restores me or it's refreshing or you know i feel better and and that's true you know we, we all feel that way but um you know, as as scientists, we need to, it, you know, we need to have something that's measurable. And so, for many years, it was difficult. You know, we all we had that sense that something is being restored. You know, when we get a good night's sleep, we feel refreshed and restored. But, but what is it that is being restored? And and um, you know, it's only been in more recent years that um, you know scientists have actually been able to measure and uh, study physical restoration and repair in the brain, as well as cognitive restoration and repair in the brain. So, for example, um, you know, some of the things that are being restored when we sleep would involve, um, uh, let me say that when, when we're awake all day, uh, we're, we're using more energy, we're, we're moving around, we're thinking, um, we're generating free radicals, which uh, for those who haven't had chemistry since high school is uh, you know an atom or group of atoms that uh, has an unpaired electron that will react uh, readily with tissue in the, in the brain or in the body. And what free radicals can do is um, essentially oxidize your tissue, which is like rust, really. So when free radicals accumulate over time, it's like a rusting of your brain and body, and it contributes to um, aging, uh, premature aging. So, for example, chronic sleep can uh, prematurely age you. Um, and so, when when we when we sleep, when we go into deeper sleep, there are mechanisms that that clear away these free radicals, and this is critical. So, if if you're chronically you know sleep deprived. If you're only, as we call it, a short sleeper, if you're only sleeping five or six hours a night instead of seven to nine hours, over time, you know, free radicals can accumulate, and it it can cause you know premature aging. So that's that's one reason.
0: Wow. Are there other um, negative consequences of not getting enough sleep?
1: Oh, there's there's multiple. So. Um, you know, when we're, in, when we're asleep, uh, there's hormones related to growth. So for uh, young people in, in college, they're often still growing. Um, so, you know, you need, you need it for proper growth. You need it for um, clearing other toxic uh, compounds from the brain. For example, uh, beta amyloid is a, a protein that is linked to Alzheimer's disease, and beta amyloid will, much somewhat similar to free radicals, can accumulate. Um, and um, sleep has the effect of, of uh, removing free radicals. So uh, there, there appears to be a link between sleep and, and uh, the lack of sleep and, and Alzheimer's is possibly as well as other forms of dementia. There's, um, you know, the lack of sleep is tied to all sorts of physical problems, like, uh, aside from that, like uh, increased incidence of heart attack and stroke, uh, obesity, diabetes. um, To just choose one of those, uh, heart attacks, um, it's been documented that, um, you know, daylight savings in the springtime, we lose one hour of sleep. The next 24 hours there's a 24% increase in heart attacks worldwide in, the, in that day simply because we lost one hour of sleep.
0: Oh, that's, that's very detrimental. Yeah. So I'm wondering if um, college students are losing sleep on, you know, at night and trying to make up for napping during the day. Are naps recommended, or is well, that not a good way to catch up on sleep?
1: No, I think, you know, I mean, there's, there's some controversy about naps. Uh, most people think that they're, they're okay um, and, in fact, there are many proponents of, of naps, including myself. I think the main thing is, that though, that y- naps should be held to um, 15 to maybe 25 minutes at most. And um, if, if your body is requiring more than a 15, 20-minute nap, then that tells me that you're probably not getting a good night's sleep at nighttime. And also if you if you do nap beyond that, take a 90 minute nap or something like that, you wake up and you feel often feel worse than you did when you you know you' you're you're really asleep now because your brain in your brain, there's a gland called the pineal gland that is secreting melatonin and it when we're in d- deeper sleep, and it's sort of fooling your body into thinking that it's nighttime. And so now you're in this kind of nighttime mode. And so you don't want to take a real long nap. Because that's going to put you into that nighttime mode. But if you take a shorter one, as they, you know, power naps, as they call it, there's many people who, I love to get one. I I can't do it often, but on the weekends, as long as you keep it short, you know. And if you keep it short and you still feel tired, then to me, that tells me you're probably not getting enough sleep at nighttime.
0: And I wonder um, if you could make up for a lost sleep. So I hear a lot of students say, oh, well, you know, I usually get a couple hours of sleep, you know, maybe four or five hours of sleep during the week. But on yeah. the weekends, I sleep in, I sleep 10, 12, yeah. 14 hours. <laughs> Is that a good habit? What are some pros and yeah. cons to sleeping a long time uh, on the weekends?
1: You know, I and I, I will say that I was similar to most college students as well. And uh, of course, I didn't know all the things that I know now about sleep. And so what we call this is uh, sleep debt, and I think many or most of our students uh, understand the financial concept of debt. So and now this the sleep analogy is that, you know, if you're only sleeping four, five, six hours a night, you're accumulating sleep debt. You're, you need to get it back. You need to pay back that sleep. And then what happens is the stu- student will sleep in on Saturday and Sunday morning. Um, the problem with that. Is that, uh, one problem with that is that it, it, if you, especially if you sleep until like, say, 11 or 12, is that you now reset your biological clock. So, you know, your circadian control is shifted. And let's say you have an early morning class on Monday morning and you slept in till 11 or 12 on Saturday and Sunday. Well, you're not you're not going to get to sleep until three o'clock in the morning on on Sunday night, and you know that's one problem associated. It's much better to try. I, you know, I always say try because you know who whose sleep is perfect? Not certainly not mine. I have occasional insomnia. Uh, I have stress, just like every everyone has anxiety and various things we have to worry about. But I'm I'm a lot more conscious of of sleep than I used to be. And I try, try really try to get seven to nine hours, which is what most people need. And I try to keep that fair, as constant as possible. And also in the same period of time so that you're not shifting it, you're not, sh- you know, ha- sleeping later or earlier. You, you know, you, you stay within that same time frame. And that seems to be the best for our health.
0: That's good to know that the same time going to bed at night, whether it's later, as long as it's consistent, is really helpful. Uh Um, I also hear students say, well, you know, I had this big test I had to study for or a paper to do, so I pulled an all-nighter. I was wondering if you could just talk about some of the pitfalls of perhaps staying up all night and then trying to do good work the next day.
1: Pulling an all-nighter from a sleep researcher's point of view is the the worst possible thing that you could do in college for a, a number of reasons. One of the, one of the functions of sleep that I haven't discussed yet is um, cognitive restoration. Uh, you, the, uh, your brain needs sleep for optimal learning and, and memory and cognitive performance. And there's a huge amount of research on this now in the past two decades that confirms that it's critical, uh, most especially for the forming of new long-term memories. So when you have information that comes in as a short-term memory that you have to rehearse, if it's something that you want to put into long-term memory when you don't have to rehearse it anymore until the, the day of the exam and recall it, the process of going from short-term to long-term memory is called consolidation, and proper sleep is critical for consolidation to work properly. So, if you're if you're staying up all night, it's go you're going to have almost like an amnesic kind of syndrome. And you may well show up on the test and blank out completely. Even if you don't, even if you did do well on that test, you're not going to retain that information in the future. And, you know, I know students are concerned about grades, but really the goal is for you to learn something that you retain long after the exam is over. Uh, The the other thing I wanted to say about pulling an all-nighter, is that it, it severely suppresses your immune system. So, uh, for example, there are certain immune cells called natural killer cells that are suppressed. And that, uh, over the long term, that could increase your chances of certain kinds of cancer. But in the short term, in the more short term, sup- if you suppress your immune system, you're likely to get sick. Okay? If you get sick... Now guess what? Now you're you're, you're going to miss like three or four more classes. You're going to fall further behind, and you know so it it has the opposite effect on your grades. Then you, you, you know you're trying to do well in school, but in the long run it's it's going to it's going to do the opposite. So, you know it's essential to try to get sleep. And I, I understand that students fall behind because I did in college, and you know sometimes you have to, you wind up staying up a little later than you want it to. Uh, but to pull an all-nighter uh, is is just um, there's multiple bad things associated with that.
0: I concur. I also heard of her. I'm not sure if you can back this up, but that um, sleep deprivation is equal to you know um, being drowsy, like when driving or drunk driving. Like oh, yeah. when you're sleep deprived, it's almost like you're that impaired as some Absolutely. as someone who would be drunk driving.
1: Yeah, after after about 16 hours of being awake. You know, if you think about it, uh, you know you sh- you should be sleeping about one third of your life. You know, you should sleep about eight, about eight hours out of every twenty-four. So after sixteen hours of wakefulness, uh, we begin to see effects both physical and cognitive. Um, and then if if it's up around twenty hours that you've been awake, at that point, your attention, your concentration. Um, Memory function is beginning to go. Attention and concentration lapses are equivalent at that point to someone who's legally drunk. That yeah. is true.
0: And um, you talked a little bit about uh, how sleep affects your health. Um, I'm wondering if you found that there's also a mental health tie, if there's any connection there between um, anxiety yeah. or um, emotional health and your sleep, if you want to talk a little bit about sure.
1: that. Sure, It's tied to anxiety and depression. When I talk about the brain and students ask about the brain, I I say, look, everything that's good for your heart is good for your brain. The kinds of foods that are good for your heart are good for your brain. You know, uh, blueberries and strawberries that have antioxidants have a protective effect for the heart and for the brain. Exercising is good for your heart and your brain. Sleeping properly is good for your heart and for your brain. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, lack of sleep is associated with, um, heart problems, but it's also associated with anxiety and depression, which tend to go together. Mm. Um, A very large percentage of um, severe depressive cases, uh, there's co-diagnosis with an anxiety disorder. And so, um, and we're beginning to understand, we don't fully understand how it affects the brain and how this occurs, but we're beginning to see some studies that show a um, a decrease in what's called um, neurogenesis. So neurogenesis is the formation of new brain cells, which until about 20 years ago was thought to only occur when we're uh, during fetal and embryological development, and then as adults, it was thought you know you only get so many brain cells and that's it, and you don't get any more. Um, and in many parts of the brain, that's still true, where they you just you reach a certain level. And and then it stops from there, and you try to take care of the ones that you have remaining. But there, we now know that there are certain parts of the brain, like the hippocampus, and certain parts of the cortex, the outer part of the brain, that engage in adult neurogenesis, which means all throughout our life. Um, you know, I'm in, in my mid-50s, Okay. Uh, I think about this often because I actually have, as I tell my students, I have fewer neurons than, than they do because a lot of my neurons are dying off, which is a little frightening to consider, but the ones that are left can, uh, you know, I can stave off the decline, severe decline in, in, in numbers because adult neurogenesis occurs and it's stimulate, what stimulates that proper sleep, proper exercise, proper diet, all, all of these basic things can, you know, and if you don't get those things, for example, if you're chronically sleep-deprived, uh, that can suppress neurogenesis, and it can actually result in far fewer neurons being regenerated in the hippocampus. And we think, uh, we, don't, we don't want to get too far into it, but we think that that is linked to the anxiety and depression.
0: Th- wow. So, if someone is um, anxious or they're struggling with mental health, that not only makes it harder for them to get a good night's sleep, but then their lack of sleep will then kind of refuel that feeling and those anxieties and that that mental health cycle. Is that? It, it, it is. is it? There is yeah.
1: there is a there is a vicious mm-hmm. cycle there. Mm-hmm. And when we're thinking of sort of a vicious cycle, also it kind of, it, it it sort of triggers the the notion of. Uh, you would asked earlier before the show about caffeine and yes. coffee and things. So, and uh, I, I must admit, I, I love coffee. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't imagine my life without it. So I need my morning coffee and occasionally I'll have a s- small coffee after lunch. But, you know, I know my body pretty well now and uh, that's all I can have uh, at around maybe one o'clock, any any, after that, in the later afternoon or at nighttime, if I have caffeinated beverages, it will impair my sleep. Okay, it may, may if I have something to work on, it may make me feel better, and we, we do understand why that is the case, um, why it wakes you up, why it can contribute to your concentration and so forth, but you pay a price for that. And the price that you pay is that when you come down from it, you have excessive. You have what's called uh, residual hypersomnolence or sleepiness, at, including um, changes in emotional lability, which is a fancy word. Way of saying you feel grumpy, uh, or you know your 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 moods you have mood swings. The following day you don't feel very good, so and you're very very tired. So what do people do to try to stave off the tiredness?
0: Drink more caffeine. <laughs>
1: exactly, and so there's there's this vicious cycle where you're chasing your tail constantly. This is not good. Also, you know so.
0: I've also heard um, alcohol can impair a, night, a good night's sleep. It affects your ability to enter REM cycle. Is that correct?
1: It's somewhat. And it also, um, you know, uh, I think I remember one of my grandparents who used to, you know, this old uh, wives tale about, you know, I'll just have a little little nip of bourbon or whatever, and that'll put you down. Um you know, the thing with alcohol is not a, an effective hypnotic, which is, you know, sleeping medication, because although it may put you down to sleep quickly, it actually induces what's called often induces maintenance insomnia, which is occurs a lot in older people and also in people who drink. So it's like, you know, you fall asleep quicker, but then you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't get back to sleep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a- alcohol does... It does uh, alter your sleep patterns in ways that are that are not good for you either.
0: Something to think about on a college campus if that occurs, <laughs> especially if it's on a, week, a weekly basis, right? We're thinking about sure. habits that we're developing and how can we practice good sleep hygiene and if our habits are something that we're doing that are negatively affecting us and we're doing on a on a weekly basis, monthly yeah. basis, that goes to affect us long term. Absolutely. Do you have any tips about getting a good night's sleep or how to sure. um, have good sleep hygiene?
1: Sure. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, from a historical perspective, one might argue that sleep hasn't been, no, quote, normal uh, since the invention of the light bulb. If you think about it, uh, you know, back years ago and there's. 1700s. It's like, you know, they had candlelight and you'd eat dinner and maybe read by candlelight a little bit or, you know, but then they'd fall asleep pretty darn early, you know, and th- this doesn't happen at all anymore. There's lights everywhere. Uh, but now to complicate matters, um, what I mean, and and there's no going back. I mean, here we sit in the middle of technology everywhere and all students have laptops, they have, you know, smartphones, they have all sorts of different computers, you know, laptops, the blue, the blue light really alters and impairs your sleep terribly. So I would say, you know, what you want to do, and it's hard to do because a lot of students take these devices with them to bed, is to never do that. You, you, you need to train yourself to, that the bed is for sleeping, okay? Other things are to be done elsewhere, like preferably in another room, you know, and keep the electronic devices out of the bedroom or at least out of the bed. Don't take them to bed with you because it is going to impair your sleep. Sure, you will fall asleep, but the quality of your sleep will not be very good.
0: I hear a lot of students say, "Oh, I just check my phone and scroll through like Instagram or Facebook before bed," and um, so that blue light is actually keeping them more awake and making it hard for them to fall asleep if they do that.
1: And also, the information—the yes. information—is <laughs> is keeping you thinking. So, I mean, that's definitely something to keep in mind, and it's, it's something we have to all try to, our best to manage. But th- there's many other tips um, to just be more aware, uh, to, um, to try your best to stay on a regular cycle, to, to limit your caffeine intake in the late afternoon, and try not to have any in the late afternoon or, or evening. Um, exercise is great for you. We encourage that. But if, if you exercise late at night, you know, what happens is you activate your autonomic nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system. It sort of causes your body to react as if there's a threat and you're reacting in a fight-flight kind of way. And it takes hours to come down from that. So, you know, exercise is great, but maybe in the morning or the afternoon, maybe not in the evening. I, I realize that may not be possible for the athletes who...
0: But, I know, I've heard of some athletes practicing as late as nine o'clock at night.
1: Yeah that's that, hard. The, you know, I guess I guess if they have late classes that might work. But if they're if they have class at eight thirty in the morning, you know, they may not be falling asleep until two in the morning, you know. So little things like that and and just um trying your best to stay on a regular schedule, understanding that no one's perfect. Um, and that I understand that on the weekend you might sleep a little later. It feels good. But, you know, sleeping until nine, 8 or 9 is different than sleeping until 11 or 12. You know, if you sleep till 11 or 12, you're really resetting your biological clock in, in a way that it's almost like an, that's another thing with all-nighters, is that you're completely resetting your biological clock in, in a way that is going to take several more days for you to get back on schedule.
0: Wow, it's hard. I also heard um, if you uh, are hungry, you know, because college students, they eat what, dinner like five or six and they're up till maybe midnight. Um, you know, if they have a healthy snack, trying to keep it like low in fat, low in sugar so that that doesn't that digestion doesn't keep them up late at night, too. You don't want to be snacking on like. You know, ice cream sundae or brownies or chips—things that are really fatty, greasy, sugary—because that can kind of keep you awake too.
1: That's true. Mm. Although, although I don't want to be a hypocrite and, and, and <laughs> Late night ice cream say stuff. that I've never, <laughs> never done any of that stuff, but yeah. you know, at least, at least when I, if I engage in that sort of behavior, I know it's wrong and I shouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> try to limit it. Yeah. You
0: know? And I know a lot of our students have roommates, and sometimes their schedules are off. Like some people might be morning people, some might be evening people. I've always suggested some type of like um, a shutting out noise. So either like um, uh, earplugs or like a sound machine or a fan just to drown out if you wake easily, that that could be something that's helpful for people too. Sure. Yeah. Um, Do you have any other tips or anything that you wanted to talk about to – help students get a good night's sleep and uh, then be able to be uh, better ready to make their academics successful?
1: I think we've covered quite a bit. You know, one thing that I wanted to mention also is um, uh, not only is it not good for you to be a short, quote, short sleeper, it's not good for you to be a long sleeper either.
0: Oh, sleeping
1: too much? So, yeah, it's, it's really that window of seven to nine hours for most people is what we should get per night. And uh, people who sleep significantly less or more than that, uh, it's associated with a shortened lifespan in, in both cases. It's not completely understood why. But, um, you know, so, so both sleeping too little and, and sleeping too much chronically are, are both uh, associated with a, a shorter lifespan. So um, it's, you want to be right there in that pocket of seven to nine hours for for adolescents, it's a little different, um, um, eight to eight to ten, and uh, for for high school students, and interestingly, because they're going through puberty and adolescence, there seems to be a bit of a shift, and so for high school students, there's a reason why they feel very, you know, it's kind of an old thing that parents complain about that they're my lazy son or daughter is complaining all the time about and can't get them out of bed or whatever. But And m- maybe that's contributing, but it turns out that there's actually an endocrine reason for why they feel really sleepy. And ideally, we should kind of shift the uh, bus schedule back about an hour.
0: I always thought that as well. That it was too early to be at school, <laughs> 7, 7.30 in the morning it's, for high school it's,
1: kids. The, yeah. it, there's, um, the, there's a researcher at Brown who's done all of this work uh, with adolescents. And the best thing would be to move the buses back, but it becomes sort of a political issue as well because, oh, what? how are we going to do that? We're going to move everything back an hour. And if you did that, then, you know, sports practice has to be backed up an hour. And, you know, so there's – it's – but I think ideally for their body, uh, you know, it's like 8 to 10 hours for adolescents, but really uh, that's kind of shifting as we get into like 18, 19, 20-year-olds. And then it reverts back to like seven to nine. And you want to just stay right in that pocket and continue that throughout your life. That's that's the goal. <laughs> that's
0: good to know. And if someone's not getting enough sleep or they're sleeping too much, you know, there could be underlying causes too. So it's always good. Be. We like to reach out to resources. So here at Stonehill College, we have uh, health services and counseling mm-hmm. services who can do a check-in and look at your sleep schedule. Mm-hmm. And uh, the health and wellness center also goes over um, sleep hygiene tips and um, ways to help get you a good night's sleep.
1: I just I thought of one more. Can I mention one more? Thing? Yeah, absolutely. So one more point is that you know I, college students often, especially Stonehill students, have very full lives, and they kind of pride themselves on you know being a good student and I have a part-time job and I'm involved in various extracurricular things, and I also want to have a social life because I'm young, and 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 I get all that, you know. And then what they'll do, not just Stonehill students, but all college students, is they'll uh, they'll engage in what we refer to as sleep fragmentation. That is, catch a couple hours of sleep here and a few more hours of sleep there. And, you know, hopefully it'll all add up to, say, seven hours per night. But it turns out, that um, fragmenting your sleep uh, results in sleep that is not as high-quality sleep. And so you might not get enough uh, delta wave activity, which is the slow wave activity that is correlated with um, co- being cognitively refreshed and, and doing well and, and, and concentration and understanding and so forth. So, you know, fragments of sleep that add up to seven or eight hours is not as good as seven or eight hours of continuous sleep.
0: Wow! So if you want to, you know, be able to, you know, memorize that uh, paper or understand that passage that you're reading, having fragmented sleep will really inhibit that. But having a full eight hours straight will actually help um, improve That's your right. memory and concentration. That's right. And, wow. and, and once
1: again, you know, I'm not saying I'm perfect even to this day, and, and certainly not when I was in college. There's time times when my sleep was fragmented. You know, it was you know towards the end of the semester, and you've got a lab report due, and you've got this other test to study for. You know, I get it. You know, life is not perfect, but you just want to be conscious of these things and and try to do your best.
0: I did have one more question. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of some of the ways um, students are using technology to help with sleep, such as like sleep apps or um, meditations. Do you recommend those, or does that keep you awake?
1: <laughs> well, you know, it, th- this is this is an area that that my students. Usually know more about where they sort of oh well let me show you this and and uh, you know I think us older folks we're a little slower on the on the draw but I I find it very interesting I mean for example we used to 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 test sleep waves we EEG wave patterns we used to have to bring someone into the sleep lab for several nights and you know it's not your normal bedroom so you're kind of you know, you kind of don't like it at first, and it takes a night or two to sort of adjust. And, but now they, now they're, you're able to do that on your, on your uh, smartphone, and you're able to – now the EEG readings are not quite as accurate. But, but students can gain some semblance of understanding of, of whether they're getting enough slow-wave sleep, whether they're getting enough REM sleep. There are apps out there for that, and they can combine it with other things, like you said. And, you know, I'm I'm open to that to various things. I don't know about all of them. Mm.
0: I've uh, I've heard also on your Fitbit, um, you can actually track your sleep too. Um, mm-hmm. and it'll sure. tell you like how long you've been asleep for. So very important stuff. So, yeah. well, thank you so much, Mr. McCoy. I appreciate you being here and Absolutely. talking to us about sleep. We'd love to have you back again sometime later in the semester. So thank you for having me. Thanks again. Take care.